Uh, this morning we have a uh, guest bringing us the word. Uh, Ron Ziegler is going to be preaching for us this morning. Ron is part of um, Ministry to State. He is the PA State Capital Minister. Ministry to State is a ministry that is part of our denomination uh, that ministers to those uh, who are elected into government, and they, they serve in a number of ways uh, ministering to those individuals. Uh, he has brought a bunch of materials that are out there as well, and I invite you to uh, visit the table after the service. Um, but Ron, if you could come and bring us the word. I was given permission just for a brief introduction of what Ministry to State is and some of the materials that are over there. I think I was here about 18 months ago. And uh, since then, I have a lot to tell you. But I'm not going to be telling you from here. I have my latest two newsletters. Please take them and read them. God is doing an amazing work in Harrisburg through Ministry to State. Um, I've had lots of opportunities to talk and pray with folks I do believe God is creating a praying culture at our state capitol. So please take a look. There's a prayer guide that will give you an idea of what I do. I pray for seven members of our House and two members of our Senate every day. And so I go through the entire General Assembly every month. And then I make sure that I let them know every time that I pray for them that I did so whether it's by email or a personal card that was written and sent in the mail, or I deliver it in person when I go to the Capitol to let them know that they are not alone. I'm ministering to them, not concerned so much about their politics, but more about them as persons. We are looking to see a change in our culture in, in, in uh, Harrisburg, but we're doing that individually through people. I don't ever lobby for any particular issue I'm there as a lobbyist, if someone might describe that, as a lobbyist for Christ in, in, the, in the state capitol. But my second part of my work is to encourage as many here in Pennsylvania that would like to join me in praying and thoughtfully engaging those that are serving in our civil government. It doesn't have to be 253 in a given month. I'm urging folks to think about one per day. So please take a look at the materials over there. Everything is, is complimentary. If you'd like to donate any monies to help further the cause, you're welcome to. And if you'd like to stay in touch with what we're doing, there's a, a sign-up sheet there for an email newsletter that comes out about four times a year. With that said, would you join me in standing as we hear the reading of Psalm 23? I'm going to read all six verses, but the focus today is on the first three verses, with a particular application on what I do with ministry to state and what I'm encouraging my brothers and sisters around the state to join me in doing as well. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Please be seated. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the glory that is yours. That you share with us that which you want us to know. That you've given us all hope and life and truth and love in Jesus Christ. And that your spirit is here. Dwelling in the hearts and minds of each of your people. So we ask that you would take hold of us. Speak to us. Change us. Do with us whatever you want. That we would be your faithful instruments. For the furthering of the kingdom. For the proclamation of the gospel. And for the glory that is yours and yours alone. I ask, Lord, in the beautiful and wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Every day of your life you can find reasons to complain. And every day of your life you have reasons to be thankful. These two themes, complaint and gratitude, pull at the heart of each of us. They form fundamentally different ways of viewing the world because they are rooted in fundamentally different ways of viewing ourselves. What is your default language? Do you find it easier to complain than to give thanks? Is grumbling the regular noise of your existence? Are you easily irritated and quickly impatient? Do mundane things get under your skin? Would the people who live nearest you characterize you as a thankful person or a complaining person? Do you look at your world and find yourself blown away at the many reasons you have every day to give thanks? Do you see yourself as one who has been showered with blessings? Are you humbled by the myriad of things in your life that you regularly enjoy, but you could never argue you deserve? How often do you whisper thanks to God or communicate thanks to those around you? My wife and I, for the last two years, have been using a wonderful daily devotional by a man named Paul David Tripp called Morning Ministry, uh, Morning Mercies. This was taken from July 22nd. I can't really commend the book too highly as a great devotion. And it impacted both of us that day, and I used it um, when I preached this sermon for the first time. I thought it was really appropriate to be contemplating. This is well known, this well known and beloved Psalm 23 is a precious prayer of a man in whom God has truly worked his divine way in his heart and his mind. David has been described as a man after God's own heart, yet he did not always follow in that path. At various times he sought his own way and desired his own will to be done before and above the perfect will of God Almighty. This is a prayer of a man who is clearly thankful for all that he knows he has been, has as a beloved child of God. It's interesting, there is no complaint in this passage. There is no judgment in this short psalm. There is no condemnation for his sin or the sin of others. And there is no expression of anguish or sorrow or pain by David. 
There is, however, a fullness of thanksgiving seasoned with clear remembrances of God's daily provisions of love and mercy for David. This beautiful prayer is David's lovely poetic expression of him being graciously at peace with God and intimately knowing God as his devoted and determined caregiver, who in his eternal is his eternal protector and the only one always ready, willing, and able to provide all that David ever needs. So let's look here at the first verse. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I will never lack anything. The Lord Yahweh, expressed here, is the tetragrammaton, the yod heh vav heh of God's description. Instead of some impersonal title as may be used to address a dignitary or a head of state, David uses the intimately personal name that God used to introduce himself to Moses on Mount Horeb. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. That's from Exodus chapter 3. One Old Testament theologian expressed that I am can also be appreciated and translated as I will be present is what I will be. And expanded to include I will be present with my people to be whatever they need me to be for them. You think about it, one of the most important things that any one of us can do in the life of other people is to be present. Regardless of the circumstances of life, that we know that someone is there, someone is with us, someone cares to be there. Instead of speaking about God and using a formal title, David uses this intimate personal name God provided to his people. He is using Yahweh, he who is and will always be with his people and care for their every need. This Yahweh, David says, is my shepherd. I shall not want for anything. David speaks with exacting determination in this first verse when he says, Yahweh is my shepherd. David does not have any other shepherd. He emphatically says that he has no other God but the one true and living God. David himself, a shepherd, knows the seriousness of being one who takes care of his flock. He knew it was by God's power and strength that he was able to protect his family's flock of sheep by slaying wild beasts. Even though still a boy but an experienced shepherd, knowingly dependent knowingly dependent upon the great shepherd of his people, David went up against the giant Goliath when the rest of Israel had retreated in fear from his challenges. David speaks not with confidence 
in his shepherding abilities, but instead he speaks of the abilities of the great shepherd, of his sheep, when he courageously rebukes Goliath of Gath, who has been blaspheming God. David went with all the confidence of God, not of himself. Listen to these words from 1 Samuel 17. You come against me with sword, spear, and javelin. I come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into my hands. As before the Philistine army with Goliath, its champion David in Psalm 23 declares his complete devotion and identity with Yahweh. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. It is he who is David's shepherd and no other. There is a sincere determination in David's proclamation as he declares, Yahweh is my shepherd. David is echoing the words of God's call through Moses to his people that they shall have no other gods before him. According to David, Yahweh alone is his shepherd. He knows he can find, can only find lasting and complete satisfaction in this life and in the next with Yahweh as his vigilant and gracious shepherd. It is worthless to try and look elsewhere for another to try and provide more. It is imperative for us to be reminded that the flock does not keep the shepherd. Sometimes we want to, as sheep, keep the shepherd. It is the shepherd who keeps the flock. The flock is fully and absolutely dependent upon the loving and skillful care of the shepherd, while Yahweh is utterly independent of his sheep. He does not need anything from them, but has chosen to give his love and devotion to them for their blessing and benefit unto his glory in Jesus Christ. Paul describes this in Philippians in the short letter he wrote to the church at Philippi in chapter 4, verse 19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. The shepherd's will determines the will of the flock, and each sheep must follow the will of the shepherd. The shepherd knows the needs of the flock better than the sheep know their own needs. God knows your needs ever so much more than you know them. It is critical for each sheep to look away from self for ultimate care and provision because a sheep just can't provide all that is needed. Trust in and look to the shepherd to keep, lead, and feed the flock. After being confronted by Nathan for his great sin while Israel's king, David proclaims in Psalm 51 the reality that Yahweh alone can provide what David ultimately needs. 
Hear these words that might be familiar to many of you of what David understands that God alone can provide for him as his great shepherd. Cleanse me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and uphold me a willing spirit, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Looking here at verse 2, we're reminded that David describes God as he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. David's shepherd is a good shepherd who provides for the everyday needs of his sheep and also for the extraordinary needs of his sheep. Many of you might have heard of Philip Keller. He was rather popular years ago and had spent some time as a, as a shepherd before, about eight years, before becoming a pastor. He shepherded four-legged sheep, but offers some insight into their habits that often are much like those of the two-legged kind of sheep. He observed that sheep do not lie down easily. They need four things, typically, to help them to lie down and rest. The first they need is to be, be free from fear. Due to their timidity and lack of ability to defend themselves, if they have fear, they will not lie down to rest. The second is a freedom from friction. They need peace among the other sheep of the flock. If there's tension there between different sheep, they're not likely to lie down because they're vulnerable in that lying down position and cannot be at rest. Free from flies and parasites. They have no way to deal with these things on their own. They need a shepherd that will be able to come along and provide whatever is needed to protect them or to clean them from the parasites that are there. They have no way to get rid of them. They are completely vulnerable to these little pests and free from the need to find food. If they're hungry, as many of us, when we're hungry, we're a bit restless and it's hard to rest. But sheep themselves are utterly dependent upon a shepherd that will take them where they can find the food that is nourishing to them. So David is describing an extraordinary thing to happen when shepherding sheep. Only a willing and capable shepherd can make his sheep lie down in green pastures. The sheep can't find it on their own. And they cannot maintain it on their own. They are absolutely, utterly dependent upon a shepherd to bring them to that place of rest. And verse 3. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. It is a fascinating characteristic of sheep as described by Philip Keller. Sheep can get themselves in a situation called cast down. A sheep that is too heavy 
or long fleece can get stuck after lying down, even just in a little depression or a hollow area. All its efforts to right itself only make the situation worse as it keeps struggling to find its way to get righted. It typically puts itself in a more precarious position. If a shepherd does not come to the rescue in a few hours, the sheep could die for lack of circulation to their legs. So the shepherd is needed to right the sheep for them to function properly. They're utterly helpless in so many ways. And isn't it interesting that God uses that metaphor to describe his people? To remind us of how dependent we really are upon God and how foolish it is for us to think that we do not need God. Everything that we would have is provided by him. Like the sheep who are cast down, all of us are absolutely and completely dependent upon God and Jesus Christ for everything we need, materially and spiritually, especially for the restoration of our souls. It is Jesus who is the good shepherd who came as Yahweh in the flesh. And that's the subject of many, many sermons. But we want to recognize the reality that when Jesus came, the Son of God took on flesh. He described himself multiple times as that I am the shepherd, the good shepherd, to identify himself with the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Jesus declared with seven I am statements, perfectly placed throughout the gospel according to John, that he is the living God, the word who has come in the flesh. Jesus uses the I am of Psalm 23 as unto himself. I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the light of the world, Jesus described. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the door. I am the true vine. And in John 10, Jesus says this about himself. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my Father. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Jesus, at the end of his earthly life, gave his 11 disciples a commission to carry on after he left. As his beloved sheep, they are to carry on the good work of the shepherd, which he began in them and promised to perfect it in them through the power of the Holy Spirit. It is good that I go, Jesus said, because I am going to send one who is like myself and he will remind you of all that I have spoken and he will convict the world of sin. Jesus said to his disciples that many of us might remember in Matthew 28, 
But I think it's a good reminder as we think about this passage and its particular application. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Just as we talked about earlier, through the work of the Holy Spirit, God is present with us right now. For every follower of Christ, He is present with you always. There is never a time that He leaves you or ever forsakes you. After taking this time with Psalm 23 as David's comforting and empowering prayer of rest and satisfaction in Yahweh through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit for the everyday and in the every way of life, how do you respond to the opening question? What is your default language? Do you find it easier to complain about your daily situations and the way you are treated by others? rather than to give thanks to God at all times and in all places. Complaining is easy to do when we place ourselves at the center of our lives and neglect the guidance, direction, promises, and daily provisions of our Good Shepherd. I know, I was pretty much an expert complainer for too much of my life. But as I began this work with ministry to stay, God confronted me to my soul, showed me my many mistakes. And one of the things that has transpired is a motto that is on my business cards that is pray more, complain less. So God has taken a pharisaical complainer, able to see what's ever wrong in the world, and said, you pray about those things you see. Some of the things that you may see, as I did, are right. That's wrong, or this should be different. But instead of just complaining, let us be prayer warriors, bringing that to our good shepherd for what he might do and where he might take us that we didn't expect that we might go. The Apostle Paul reminded the followers of Jesus in Philippi in the spirit of Psalm 23 when he shared these words of God with them. This is from Philippians chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you can learn and grow in enjoying Christ's everyday care as your good shepherd. Let's use Psalm 19, beginning in verse 7, as just one place to guide us in this great adventure of declaring the Lord is my shepherd and no other while living for his will to be done in your lives here on earth as it surely is done in heaven. Remember, this is just one small place. Take a look at the whole of God's word 
or his complete direction. The Lord, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned, in keeping them is great reward. I'd like to read a little story that I came upon. I can't remember where. Um, so I have it, the author unknown. But I think it's a lovely story to help us reflect upon these three verses. There was a farmer who grew excellent corn, who regularly won awards for his great corn. He also consistently shared his seed with his fellow farming neighbors. When a reporter discovered this, he asked the farmer, how can you afford to share your best seed with your neighbors when they are entering corn in competition with yours? Why, sir, the farmer, said the farmer, didn't you know? The wind picks up the pollen from the ripening corn and swirls it from field to field, fertilizing all of our crops. Sharing my good seed with my neighbors profits all of us by each being able to grow good corn. In the excellent care of the Lord God and Jesus Christ, our good shepherd, and by the power and daily presence of the Holy Spirit, we as his beloved sheep are in the best position to share our good seed with all of our neighbors, even those in civil government. In so doing, God is pleased to bless and prosper its growth as he sees fit. I'd like to just remind you a little bit, for those of, uh, those of you who are believers and followers in Christ, of what our good seed is. Sometimes we take it for granted because it's, it's so regularly with us. And we forget the benefits and blessings that God has bestowed on us. These are just a few. We know the reality of being satisfied and not wanting. We know love in ways that many never experience. We know we have experienced forgiveness in a manner that too many never understand or are able to embrace. We have been brought to precious places of peace to lie down and find rest for our weary souls. We have come to the end of our rope and we see Jesus holding us up and embracing us with his compassion and care through his Holy Spirit. We know the truth of God and it has set us free from ourselves. We talk to God in prayer and know that he hears us because of our gracious relationship with Jesus by his gift of faith. And I, I could go on. Maybe one day you can grab Pastor Jeff and set him down and say, tell me it all. And he'll go through all of that. 
We know the daily and the extraordinary care of a loving shepherd who has given his life for his sheep so they may know his peace that surpasses all understanding and which will guard their hearts and their minds. Each of us knows that our life experiences are not flawless. Sin regularly gets in the way. But it is no longer dominates us. And in spite of all that clouds our vision at times, we can still see the reality of life even if only dimly at times. We do know the truth. And the truth has and continues to set us free. Sure, we have many ups and downs, and at times our good shepherd seems so very far away. And we are experiencing seemingly devastating circumstances. Sometimes our hurts are so deep and lasting that we don't think they will ever end. And sometimes they don't. This side of glory. Nonetheless, the good shepherd is with each of his children, each of his cherished sheep, and he often leaves the 99 to go and retrieve the one that is lost. If God is moving in your heart and mind today, and you would like to know him as David describes in Psalm 23, cry out to him. Ask him to open your heart and give you the desire to search his word more, to pray to him more, to ask the leaders of this congregation or someone else whom you trust about what it means to be at peace with Yahweh through faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. For those of you who reflect the precious thoughts of Psalm 23, having come to know God in Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, even if only dimly at times, and are trusting in him for all of your needs, please consider the regular and extraordinary ways you may share your good seed with those around you in your particular part of his kingdom. You have a mission field that is unique for you. A group of people for whom God has placed you in their sphere where you can be a presence a sphere of involvement for his glory. It doesn't matter what our age, our abilities, we have a sphere of engagement, a sphere of involvement. We have our own personal mission field. Through the work to which God has called me with ministry to state, I would particularly like for you to consider how God may be pleased to use you to involve yourself personally in the life of those who serve in our civil government. One theologian described it this way, Governments today exist at God's pleasure. That's a harder concept to grab our hands around. We sometimes think they're completely out of control. Governments today exist at God's pleasure. They are his servants. Their purpose is to sustain and advance God's rule of goodness on earth and our role as kingdom citizens within one or another civil administration is to help civil government accomplish God's purposes for it. And one of the greatest ways that you can help civil governments to perform their function is to pray for them and interact with them with the truth of Jesus Christ, that good seed that is in your lives. Please ask God to guide you in these three steps. These are simple, but they're not easy. You're going to be confronted with aspects of your own sinfulness and your own selfishness. Pray. Ask God for direction on what he would have you to do. Prepare. 
what you need to do to carry out his calling upon your life as it relates to meaningful contact and sharing of good seed with others. And then in faith, participate in whatever way is best for you and your current capabilities. Praying for those serving in our civil government is part of a larger call for the followers of Jesus to embrace the promise and obey the command of God's word to unite in prayer for the good of our state, for our nation, for the progress of the good news of Jesus Christ, and for the furthering of the kingdom of God unto his eternal glory in Jesus Christ. A couple of suggestions to consider. Take a copy of the prayer guide for each member of our state house of representatives so you can pray for them and senate you can pray for as many or just a few on any given day get to know these members by going to state legislator website listed on the prayer guide see who they are look at their pictures learn a little bit about their lives learn who are your local representatives and seek god's direction on how best to minister to them in person and by correspondence in the name of Jesus and for his glory. Contact me and we can talk and pray about what God may have for you to do. I'm available to help anyone who would like to be used of God to minister with love and truth in the name of Jesus to those serving in our civil government. Please take a copy of the last two newsletters to read about just a few of the many encounters I have been blessed to have with those serving in our civil government in Harrisburg. Proverbs tells us that many are the plans of a person's heart. Probably every one of us can relate to that. Some of us more so than others. We're always planning and thinking, and what are we going to do next? But it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. This is not easy, but it is simple. It takes time for it to stick and become a regular discipline. It has taken me almost a year to develop this discipline of regularly praying for and communicating with those in our state government and to really begin to care about them. I think about them even when I'm not praying for them. Not like I think about my kids or some other closest family, but it's growing to that point. I can't get them out of my mind. They have become that kind of focus. And to really begin to care about them and see them as real people. I think this is very crucial. It has become less of a discipline and more of a delight to pray daily for these dear people whom God has brought to serve in our state capital. This can be done by each of us, no matter your age, maturity, your health, station in life, or whatever. As a follower of Jesus, you are useful in God's care through the power of the Holy Spirit. Please keep in mind that as we pray to God in Jesus Christ, in the confidence and care of him being our good shepherd, it is he who decides what is best for his people and what is most glorious to his great name. We can have ideas of what we think they should be, but it's ultimately God's determination that will bring it about. Please remember this. This has been helpful to me, and I I commend it to you to consider as you think about praying and maybe reforming a little bit of your own prayer. It's been helpful to me. In praying, we are not trying to convince God to do something he is unwilling to do. Instead, we are joining and seeking his will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. 
God graciously uses the prayers of his people to draw them closer to him in Jesus as he works out his blessed providence and perfect will to be done as he desires. Let's close with this lovely prayer by the Apostle Paul, written for the saints in Ephesus. It is in the context of Paul explaining that God is bringing together both Jew and Gentile as one people in Jesus Christ. But I think we can make a reasonable application that we could look at it as us in our mission field. Maybe for those people that we don't know, maybe for those people that we are yet to know in our state government, But think about what God will do in and through you to those in your particular sphere of involvement. I pray that out of his glorious riches, God may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high And deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And I'll close with this last phrase that comes from a uh, centuries ago missionary to India, William Carey. And it became very common for him to say, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. Amen. Let me pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word that truly is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Take us and use us as you desire. I thank you for my dear brothers and sisters here at Redeemer, and I ask that you would continue to bless them and strengthen them, give courage and discipline to the elders, as well as fill them with compassion as they love and shepherd this flock. We praise and thank you in the glorious and wondrous name of Jesus. Amen.